Well, again, it's good to see everybody today. I, um, I've said, I haven't said this in a while, but uh, it is one of my prayers for our church. And um, if the Lord ever lays on your heart, I, I would encourage you to pray it as well. But I, I, I want us to see what we do here when we gather on a Sunday as a church in the presence of God. I, I want us to view that as something that we get to do. And something that is a source of strength for us. That God, through His people and in His presence, strengthens us when we gather. That it's not something that we think, I'm I'm tired, so I'm going to just stay and rest. That we, in our minds, think, I'm tired. And I know that going and being with the people of God in worship is what I need. And I hope that that is what we think, uh, and it is definitely what I want us to grow into as a church, if that's not where we are yet. And that is what I pray for us. As we are going through these seven letters, today letter number five, it is my guess that you have found yourself in at least some small way in each one of these letters. That there's been something that you've connected with and that you've been able to say, oh, you know what, I do see that challenge in my life or I do see that issue at times. And, and perhaps one or two of these letters are really going to jump out at you with a little bit more intensity where you're going to say, that one really hits home. And I think from a congregational perspective, when we look at our church of Agape in Pinson, Alabama in 2022, that this letter to Sardis may best fit our context than any letter that we have studied thus far. So a few reminders, these one-word themes that we are developing for every one of these letters to help try and jog our memory about what the letter entails. Ephesus. Our one word theme was remember. Agape, repent of any loss of love of God that you can see in your life. Seek to grow doctrinally that you may be led into more zeal for God than you've had before. In Smyrna, it was stand. Agape, be willing to die to yourself and remain faithful to Jesus even when it costs you something. In Pergamum, it is uncompromising. Agape, do not let any part of your life, no matter how small it may be, do not let any part of your life be shaped by the ideology of the world, but only by Scripture. And last week, Thyatira, our one word theme was undefiled. Agape, obey God's Word and flee sin, especially sexual immorality. And today, Sardis, letter number five, and our one word theme for today is vigilant. Vigilant. The church in Sardis existed in what had historically been one of the most famous and prosperous cities in the world. Even 600 years before Jesus was born, Sardis was established and it had a long history of being a very wealthy, a very uh, prosperous 
and very popular city. And the church in this city of Sardis had a grand reputation. They were very well known. Jesus uses the word alive. He says, Sardis, everyone says about you, you are alive. A word that means you are filled with vitality. You are a strong church, people say. You are a successful church, people say. You are vigorous in your works. You are successful in what you do. There's no mention by Jesus of any doctrinal issues in Sardis, which may mean, it may tell us, they were a church with good Bible teaching. Solid teaching. Sardis was in so many ways a church that people would look at even today and say, that's a good church. Look at how big they are. Look at how successful they are. Look at how many people flock to that church. Look how many works they are doing in the community. I go there. I hear good sermons. That is a good church. But Jesus tells Sardis, He gives them a warning. And He says, no matter what anyone else thinks about you, I know you are dying. You are a dying church. I have many times over the years said, normally in private conversations, that it is really hard to outrun your rep. And what I mean by that is that once some type of prolonged behavior has earned you a reputation, most people do not easily think of you in a different way. It's really hard to outrun the reputation you have gained. Now, when you have a negative rep reputation and you are doing everything you can to try and change and move away from the parts of your character that aren't good, the fact that you can't outrun your rep is a little frustrating. But when you have a positive reputation, it can become this easy guise that masks what's really happening in your life. Because everybody thinks you've got it all together. That's your reputation. And so even when you may have drastically fallen from that high regard with which people hold you, the reality is they don't really know. That fall that you have had is hidden from them. But Jesus is the one who can see when no one else can. Jesus knows what no one else knows. And so while the church in Sardis was living on their past reputation and their past works and all the things that had been good about them over the years, Jesus knows they have grown dead. Which is best understood to mean they have become a church disconnected from His presence, from His influence, from His power. If we were to look at that on an individual level, we might say the same. I'm a well-thought-of person. I have influence. I do good works. I have a good reputation. I have a good position within the church. But what Jesus might know about me that no one else does is that somehow I've become disconnected from His presence, His influence, His power, His direction. It can happen to us individually and it can happen to us corporately. 
The question is, how does it happen? How did it happen to Sardis? How would it happen to us? And I think there are two key things in this text that helps us understand that. First of all, if you see in verse 4, Jesus alludes to the fact that most of the church in Sardis had soiled their garments, which is a picture of worldliness. They had become a worldly church, a worldly people, where they were being led more by the, their culture than they were the Bible. And the other thing that you may note in this text is, is not what is there, but what is not there. Jesus mentions no issues of persecution. He mentions no issues of pressure. And you might say, well, maybe they're a faraway church. They are just mere miles from all the other churches that we have read that are dealing with all types of persecution. What would cause a church to not have to deal with per persecution? It is because they have become like the world. They had become a comfortable church. Somewhere along the line, Sardis had found that it was easier to enjoy the favor of people rather than to live their faith out and perhaps bring trouble upon themselves in the process. It was easier just to stay silent and not talk about their faith. Go with the flow. Not rock the boat. Not press back on things that were not true. They have become a worldly church, a church of comfort. Sardis, as one church historian put it, was the perfect model of inoffensive Christianity. Christianity in name only. Christianity that, did, that never offended anyone by the Bible. And because of this, they had grown spiritually complacent. They felt secure. But they felt secure in their long history of faith. They lost their vigilance. It's very interesting, the city of Sardis two times in its long history had been overcome by enemies. They had been captured by enemies. And both times that it happened, it was because the people who were employed to watch over the city had fallen asleep on the job and were not vigilant to see the enemies coming and to warn the city. And here the church in Sardis has become a people no longer vigilant, no longer aware of the dangers, no longer spiritually awake. So Jesus tells, says to them, gives them this command, wake up! Wake up, church! I didn't do that just for those of you nodding off, but if it fits, it fits. Wake up! And strengthen what remains. That is the cry to every church and every Christian that finds themselves right now in complacency. Jesus is saying, wake up and strengthen what is still in you. Strengthen what remains. It is rather striking. As Sam made the joke this morning, and I made it myself just now, but it is rather striking how many times in the New Testament the church is told to wake up or stay awake. Dozens of times in the New Testament those words are used. And it simply means pay really close attention to your spiritual life. Pay really, really, really close attention to your spiritual life, church. 
Look at what's happening in you and around you and take stock of yourself spiritually. Even in our opening passage this morning, Tamara read, Jesus tells a story about a man who leaves his servants in charge of his work while he goes away. And, and Jesus says that when that master returns, he's going to have an expectation that at the moment he returns, he will find all of his servants doing responsibly all the task that he's given them to do. And of course, if they knew the moment the master was going to come, that would be easy. Okay, he's going to come Wednesday at 7. I remember growing up, my grandmother owned a restaurant in Centerpoint. And I can remember that we never knew the exact day that the health inspector was going to come. We knew roughly around the time that he was going to come. But if we had known the exact moment and the exact hour, we'd had everything ready and lined up. The problem is we didn't know the exact moment because it was supposed to be a surprise. We knew the season. We knew they came about every three, four months. If you know the exact moment Jesus is returning, it would be easy to be ready. It would be easy to lay down your guard up until that one moment. Right? I mean, if you're going to eat at a restaurant, you don't want a restaurant that only is efficient in their cleaning practices the day the health inspector comes. You want them on guard all the time. And that is what Jesus wants His church to be, on guard. You won't know the exact time or moment that He's going to return. So be ready at any time. That's the message. There's a parallel passage in Luke 21 where Jesus indicates that the reason a servant may fall asleep rather than be alert to their master's return, is that their hearts become too occupied, either with escaping the anxieties of the world or indulging in the pleasures of the world. Their hearts get too occupied. I'm so nervous, I'm so anxious about everything that's happening and I just want to escape. And they take their eyes off of their spiritual lives. Or I, I want so much of what's around me. I want all this pleasure. I want to indulge in as much of it as I can. And their eyes are taken off of the returning Christ. How ironic is it that the state of life that most of us would say we want to be comfortable is the state of life that is most dangerous to our souls. We do what we can to find comfort. And yet the Bible says, in your comfort, you lay your guard down. I think it's amazing that we are here in central Alabama this morning praying for the church in Ukraine, as we should, in the midst of all of the pressure they are facing. Yet do you realize they could be on the verge of a great revival and advancement of the gospel while we are here in our relative comfort in danger of thinking we're alive when we're actually dead? The answer is not to feel guilty. The answer 
is to do the things we need to do to stay spiritually vigilant. It's to do the things we need to do to stay awake. And what are those things? If you're a note taker and you have one of our worship guides this morning, I invite you to look at that guide. And as has kind of been the pattern in these letters, we're going to look at three things. Today, three keys that Jesus gives us to live in spiritual vigilance. To answer that question, how do I stay awake spiritually? And again, this is not an all-encompassing list, but here are three things that I think we can see in this text about how we stay vigilant as the people of God. How we stay awake. Number one, to stay vigilant, we should meditate often on the gift of salvation that we've received and the Bible teaching we have heard. Meditate often on the gift of salvation you have received and the Bible teaching that you have heard. Verse 3 in this text is the clearest answer Jesus gives to the problem of spiritual complacency. It's His clearest answer. Remember what you have received and heard. That's the remedy, the clearest remedy Jesus gives to an apathetic complacent church that had grown comfortable and worldly. Remember what you have received and heard. What you have received refers to your salvation. If you today are in Christ because you have had a moment in which you have realized the severity of your sin and you have turned to Jesus and ask Him to forgive you of your sin and to restore you to a relationship with God. That is salvation. And the Bible describes salvation as a gift from God that is not of your own doing. It is something that you receive from God. And what you have heard refers to the ongoing Bible teaching and instruction that you receive throughout your Christian life after you're saved. You increase in your knowledge of Jesus and in your knowledge about life in Jesus. You increase in that knowledge by what you hear. By what you hear that is being taught to you. By the Holy Spirit when you read the Bible. By pastors and teachers in your church and your small groups. By Bible teachers Solid Bible teachers you may listen to in a podcast. Friends that you're in community with that share God's Word with you. And Jesus says, remember these things. Remember what you've received and remember everything that you've heard. Agape, remembrance in the New Testament is not just recalling a fact. Remembrance in the Bible is thinking deeply on something and then acting on it. It's thinking on something to the point that you take action. That is why Jesus says, remember what you have received and heard, keep it and repent. He's saying, remember it and do it. That's the type of remembrance He's calling us to. Remembrance is like meditating. It is a deep pondering. To meditate literally means to mutter to yourself. To talk to yourself. It's when you read something in the Bible, you hear a Bible teaching, 
You think about your salvation. It's like you're speaking and muttering those things to yourself over and over to remind yourself of those truths. So what Jesus is telling us is that thinking deeply and often about the nature of your salvation, where you pause and you just consider your life before Christ, your struggle with sin, what Jesus did on the cross, what the resurrection meant, what His blood meant. When you just ponder that over and over throughout your life, Jesus says that is a way that you stay spiritually vigilant. And when you think deeply about what you're learning, what you hear, the, what you're reading in the Bible, what teachers are teaching, what the Spirit is teaching, and you just take it and ponder it and remember it, that is a key to staying spiritually vigilant. So, Agape, I would say this to us. We should find ways to think often and deeply on the gift of salvation. We should think often and deeply on the effect salvation has had on our lives. We should read books from old saints that have written about the nature and effect of salvation. We should sing gospel-saturated songs that speak about truths of our salvation. Because when we sing those songs and think about those songs, it gets into our hearts. You know that. Right? If you're old enough in this room to have heard a song 20 years ago, the moment that tune comes on because you knew that song way back when, the lyrics come like that. How deep music goes into us. So should it not be that what we sing and learn are saturated with gospel truths? We should put ourselves in positions to learn the Bible, to read it and hear instructions in it. And then church, here's the question. What do we do to remember what we're being taught? What does that look like for you? What does it look like for you to take steps to remember that instruction? Jesus says these are the necessary steps if you want to remain spiritually vigilant. Key number two to staying awake in the Lord. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Ask for the help of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully by now you've noticed something about these letters. Josh pointed this out when he preached um, in the letter from Ephesus. But every one of these letters starts with Jesus introducing Himself in a specific way. And I hope what you've noticed is that how Jesus introduces Himself to that church is related to the need of that church. And today, what we see is that when he introduces himself to Sardis, when he describes himself to Sardis, he says, I'm the one who has the seven spirits of God. And we know there are not seven Holy Spirits, but we do believe this is figurative speech of the one Holy Spirit that empowers all the churches. I think that is the best interpretation there. And Sardis, perhaps more than anything else they needed, they needed the life-giving power of the Holy Spirit. 
they needed to be stirred out of their slumber by the Spirit. But you think about how the church started. Acts chapter 2. The church begins. This worldwide church that is in countries all over the world, nations all over the world, in various languages throughout centuries. This church started with a handful A handful of people, very unlikely people, who are told by Jesus, you're going to go change the world. Because I am sending you to make disciples of all nations. But then He told them something. Don't go yet. That's what you're going to do. But I want you to wait. And I want you to wait until the moment comes where I send to you the power of the Holy Spirit. Then you will go. In other words, do not take one step into what I'm calling you to until you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So the church waited. This small group of people waited. And in Acts came Pentecost. And the church was ignited in fire and it spread all over the world. There is no other explanation for the church than the power of God through His Spirit in His people. So, agape, if the church began its mission in the power of the Spirit, then surely the church can only continue its mission in the power of the Spirit. You don't start something in the power of the Holy Spirit and then turn around and go, okay, we got it from here. We need the Holy Spirit every day in every way. And so, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit. If you remember this picture, there was a night, the night Jesus was arrested. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. And when He's in the Garden, Jesus is praying to His Father, but He keeps going back and forth. So He goes to seclusion to pray, and then He goes back to this group of His disciples that are with them. And every time He goes back to them, He finds them what? Asleep. And he says to them, can you not stay awake? At which the obvious answer to that question was, no, I can't. But he says to them, look, stay awake, watch and pray. So that you do not fall into temptation. And then he would leave and they would fall asleep again. Now, we can look at that and say, man, I, I would have stayed awake had I been there. But the reality is, we probably wouldn't have. But even more than that, I think it's a picture. It's not just about the fact that they were physically falling asleep in the garden. It's a picture of the Christian life. The moment we take our eyes, we can't see Christ, we're going to fall asleep. We we grow less vigilant. And we fall into temptation. And so Jesus' answer there was, watch in prayer. You need the power of another. You need the strength of another. The, The outcome of this message is not go home and be more vigilant. It is go home and do the things that Jesus has showed you are keys to staying vigilant. And part of that is beg for the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you can't do it on your own. 
We need the Spirit of God if we want to avoid falling asleep spiritually. If we grieve the Spirit, which we do through unrepentant sin, if we quench the Spirit, which we do by resisting His work in our life, then we actually distance ourselves from His power. And so agape, here's what I would say to us. We must have a habit of asking the Holy Spirit to help us. You need that. I need that. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I don't, I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care what you're about to do that maybe you've done a million times. I think the moment we go to read the Bible, we should ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I think when we go to pray, we should ask the Holy Spirit to help us. I think if we go to play, sing, preach, lead a small group, greet at the door, whatever we're doing, we need to ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. Otherwise, we're just convinced that we can do it on past experience of what God has given us previously. Church, we need to confess in humility our inability to live a Christian life on our own. If you find that you don't desire the right things, which we don't, ask the Holy Spirit to give you desires that are pleasing to God. If you find that you have the inability to carry out the good desires that are in you, which is true, Ask the Holy Spirit to help you do the good desires that He has put in you. And church, we need to ask forgiveness when we've grieved the Holy Spirit. It is not the common way we pray to pray to the Holy Spirit. We most commonly pray to the Father or the Son. But if we believe the doctrine that the Holy Spirit is God... I do not believe it is out of order to pray to the Spirit, to ask for His help, to repent of the times we have grieved Him or quenched Him by our leading or by our refusal to follow His leading. These things are critical to being vigilant. And finally, number three. The third key to being vigilant Staying awake spiritually. Serve God and people with sincerity and boldness. Serve God and people with sincerity and boldness. When you look in verse 4, and I want you to see in verse 4 the hope that Jesus gives for Sardis. He tells them in verse 4 that there is hope for their church in the reality that there is a remnant of people within the church that have not yet fallen asleep spiritually. There are some of you, he says, that have not become worldly and have not become comfortable. And I think it's very interesting that Jesus points that out. There is a sense in which you and I are supposed to worry about one another in the church. There is a sense in which that is supposed to happen. We are to pray for one another. 
We are to teach one another. We are to encourage one another. At times, we're even supposed to admonish one another. But here's the reality. We can sometimes become too preoccupied with the Christian life of other people and we fail to watch over our own. Yet it is when you and I have a sincere relationship with Jesus that we are most likely to have impact on our church. So we might think this church would be better if so-and-so would do this. Or if so-and-so would stop doing that. But I think what Jesus is pointing us to is that one of the best things we can do for our church is grow in our own sincere worship. A.W. Tozer said there are rare Christians whose very presence incites others to want to be better Christians. And then A.W. Tozer said, I want to be that type of Christian. And I hope you can say amen to that. If you are praying and asking for personal revival, you will be one of those people in our church that are spurring others on to revival. By the way you live, you don't have to do it for show. You don't have to do it for accolades. But if you are living a sincere life of worship, and you are in community in your church, your life will impact others. And you will cause other people by how you are sincerely worshiping to want to do the same. Now, the more sincere you want to be in your following of Christ, the more difficult you're going to find things to be in the world. The more you grow in Christ-likeness, the more trouble and problems you will have living in the world. Sardis had no external pressure because they really weren't worshiping sincerely. So they weren't rocking the boat. They had nothing to fear. They wanted to be comfortable and they wanted to be popular. But church, what good is it to be popular if you have no influence? What good is it to be well thought of if you have no power? What good is it to be light if you hide it? We should not be people who are disagreeable for the sake of being disagreeable. And we all know some who are like that. But we should not shy away from opposition for God's Word if it comes. The Bible says we should correct our opponents with gentleness. Which means we should take care of how we act. And we should be humble. And we should take care how we interact. But we should not be afraid to speak truth. And live truth. Serving God and people. This key number three. Serving God and people sincerely, I think that's grace. And serving God and people boldly, I think that's truth. And that's how we're called to live. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Full of grace, full of truth. And that is a key to staying vigilant and helping others do the same. And if you right now, if you're the person struggling with complacency, 
Part of that answer is you need to be in community with other people so that you can see their lives and be impacted by it. It's part of why we need one another. If you're trying to live a vigorous, sincere Christian life, you don't do that simply on your own because it's not just for you. And if you are in a place of complacency and you need revival, then you need to be in a community of believers that are spurring you on to faith and good works. So what is the theme of Sardis? Stay awake spiritually. The one word theme is vigilant. Stay awake, church. Wake up, church. Overcome apathy. Overcome worldliness that you might receive the reward of a personal commendation in the presence of God. I want you to see that promise. Look in verse 5. Jesus says in verse 5 that the one who conquers, the one who remains vigilant by the grace of God and the help of the Spirit, Jesus says, I will confess their name before my Father and His angels. One of the things about these letters is Jesus presents these rewards at the end of all of them, and they're quite unbelievable. Can you even... Is it it possible humanly to even fathom a fraction of what that moment might look like? When you have not only seen Jesus face to face, but He brings you before His Father... And He commends you by name. This is my good and faithful servant. And it is not just His Father He commends you in front of, but all the angels of heaven hear Jesus say your name in the presence of the Father as a good and faithful servant that only comes to the vigilant. That is the reward of not being a worldly, comfortable Christian who just wants to sprinkle some religion in to a part of their life. Jesus is saying, go after it all. Serve me with sincerity. Be a sincere worshiper. Overcome the desire to be a popular people. And a comfortable people. Don't seek to be disagreeable. Care for people. Try to live a tranquil life. A godly life. A quiet life. Try to live a life where you are at peace with anyone that it is possible for you to be at peace with. Eric read that in our men's group Wednesday night. But stand for truth. Do so with humility, do so with care, but do not back down. And if it brings opposition, it brings opposition. Count it worthy to be like Jesus. And if you will do that, there will be a day where He will commend you in front of His Father. So Agape, today, if you have heard His voice calling out to you, 
if you realize this might be me, this, this might be where I would go. I am a complacent Christian. I have become a complacent Christian. I would say to you, God has placed you here today to call you out of that. To respond. Repent. Jesus gives a warning that if you don't, I'm going to come like a thief. In judgment or discipline, I will come like a thief. You're not, you're not going to know when it will be. But what you do know is you have today and you have right now. And you can turn from the complacency. And if that's you, one of the things that I've noticed over the years in, in pastoring with people, and I've felt this myself, but sometimes when you've walked closely with the Lord and you've seen some great things and you've had this tradition of walking closely with Him and then you turn from that and you get complacent, it seems like you're a million miles away from where you used to be. But if you will turn to God and repent, you will find you are right where He wants you to be in His presence. You're not too far gone. Look at this last thing Jesus told Sardis. I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. What does He mean? Complacent Christian? There is more Jesus has for you to do. There is more that He has for you to do in influence and power. So turn from your complacency because He has not yet found your works to be done. Return and walk in what He gives you to do. Wake up, servants, and serve God. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. If you guys will bring the lights down. We also have some prayer partners this morning. They're going to pray for you. So over on my left, they're going to gather. And here's what I want to ask us to pray for today, church. One word, revival. That's really what this is about. It's about revived hearts, revival in our life of worship, revival in our church, ongoing, ongoing revival. So church, will you pray for that today? As we sing this song together, as we worship today, would you pray for revival in your families, in your heart, in your life? If you want to come to the front and pray, you can. If you want to pray where you are, if you want someone to pray with you, and listen, these, these prayer partners over on my left, they're not just here to pray for revival, although they will. But they will pray about anything that you have a need for. So if it is healing, if it is restoration, if you know someone who's suffering and troubled and you want to receive prayer, they are there so that you will have a voice in your ear that is expressing your concerns before God. Father, I ask this morning that You would please save anyone in this room or watching this replay who do not know You. Father, anyone who has not yet come to Christ to believe upon Him and be saved, would You do a work today to draw them to Yourself that they might believe in faith on the work of Christ for the forgiveness of their sins and today might be the day of their salvation. Father, would You help the complacent? Would You help those who have grown complacent in their walk with You? 
would you today ignite a fire in them with the power of the Holy Spirit and let them know that their works are not complete? Would you draw them to return to you in power? Remembering their salvation and the teaching they've heard over the years. Not relying on their past legacy of faith, but looking to You today for power and help. Father, would You strengthen the remnant? Those who are walking with You in power, would You help them to continue to stay awake and stir others to love and good works? God, would You please hear the prayers that are prayed over these next few minutes, whatever they may be, and will You please answer to the glory of Your name. Today, if there is a significant talk you would like to have about your relationship with Christ, whatever it may be, coming to know Him for the first time, or trying to figure out what it means to come back, I would love to be a part of that conversation. So just find me before you leave today. I'll get your contact information and we'll talk sometime in the next few days. Church, if you are willing and able to stand or to kneel in prayer or whatever your posture of worship looks like, let us worship together and respond to God.